Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember, subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Wesco. So good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 35th episode of 2023. Before we kick off, I'd like to thank Wesco, the platinum sponsor of Fiber for Breakfast. And I hope that you all were able to join us last week for Fiber Connect 2023 in Orlando. It was absolutely amazing. We had a record attendance of 4,000 people with over 275 speakers across 94 sessions and 275 exhibits. It was just epic. And I really enjoyed our operator light talks. You know, we had the president of AT&T, the CEO of Google Fiber, Lumos consolidated. And one of my favorites was EPP's talk on how fiber is enabling the quantum network. On the last day of the conference, we held the state broadband summit and Will Arbuckle from NTI walked the audience through the Build America, Buy America, what we call BABA, Limited applicable Applicability Waiver, which addresses a variety of construction materials and manufactured products used in fiber deployment and provides multiple waivers based on specific products. Comments on this waiver are due on or before September 21st. And anyway, all in all, it was just a fantastic week in Orlando. Speaking of fantastic events, our next and final regional Fiber Connect workshop for the year will be in Minneapolis on October 24th. You're not going to want to miss that, so please register today. And last week, the Fiber Broadband Association issued a press release announcing our NTI bead high cost threshold model, which we developed with Cartesian for every broadband, state broadband office to use. This is an amazing tool. And at noon today, FBA and Cartesian will do a detailed walkthrough on what the high cost threshold model and how it can be applied to each and every state and territory. So you're not gonna wanna miss that. That brings us to today's Fire for Breakfast session with Nice Turk of Alta Fiber and Hawaiian Telecom discuss fiber is key to ambitious climate action plans. You know, last week on Fire for Breakfast, we had the pleasure of hearing from Eric Batel of uh, the Federal Permitting Council who discussed Federal Permitting Council moving broadband permitting at gigabit speeds. You know, FBA continues to keep a strong focus on permitting and permitting reform in an effort to accelerate fiber deployment. Today on Fiber Breakfast, our guest is Nigel Turek of Alta Fiber and Hawaiian Telecom to discuss fiber is key to ambitious climate action plans. Nigel became the Director of Sustainability at Alta Fiber, formerly Cincinnati Bell, in September of 2021 and is responsible for environmental sustainability throughout the organization, including uh, subsidies such as Hawaiian Telecom and CBTS. Her primary focus has been crafting the company's climate action plan towards their target of net zero carbon emissions in 2040. Before joining Alta Fiber, Nasha was the Director of Sustainability Services at Wolpert where she worked with the military, DHS, universities, businesses, and airports to create and implement sustainability and resiliency plans. 
and, and design lead and green buildings. She is an Air Force veteran. Thank you for your service. And as a Society of American Military Engineer Fellow. Najah holds a BS in Civil Engineering and a Master's of Nonprofit Management and an MS in Environmental Engineering and Science. So with all that, welcome Najah. And for our audience, uh, please type in your questions and Najah will um, review those and get back to you those on any of those questions you have. With that, let's get things started. Turn it over to Najah. Gary, thanks. That was a very kind introduction. Thank you. And I'm excited to have this opportunity to talk today about our climate action plans. It's something that I hope everyone across the industry is embracing and working on alongside of us. So it's nice to share what we're up to. And I really look forward to being able to respond to the questions after the presentation and, uh, and have uh, hopefully a great dialogue with more peers out there in the industry on this topic. So thanks for the opportunity to be here today. So our vision as a company, our mission is to provide connection, to provide this critical network service that our communities that we serve rely on for jobs and education and their quality of life. So of course, our environmental vision is, is wholly supportive of that. So our environmental vision is to, is to provide that connection to connect people, but do it free from unwanted and unvalue-added pollution and to enhance the quality and health in the communities that we serve. When I came on board at Alta Fiber in 2021, I had three mandates and you see them here. Within two years, we had to start to track, to third-party verify, publicly report our greenhouse gas emissions. When we had that understanding of what our emissions were and are, we needed to set science-based targets, and I'll come back with very specific language. So in just a second, we'll talk about what a science-based target is for reducing our greenhouse gas footprint significantly. And then finally, we had to formulate a plan, a plan that would get us to those science-based target, targeted reductions and ultimately move us in the direction of net zero emissions by 2040. So here I am coming to the end of those two years, and I'm happy to give you sort of an update on where we are, and we've learned so much from it. And of course, the critical role that transitioning our customers to fiber is going to play in achieving these objectives. I mentioned that the term science-based target is a very specific bit of language. Uh, for an, a greenhouse gas emission reduction target to be considered science-based, it has to be in line with what the latest climate science says about meeting our goals, and by, by our, I mean the collective goals set in the Paris Climate Agreement of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. What it means is that we can't set a random target or an arbitrary target, or maybe a target that's based more on our business objectives. We can't say to ourselves, how about a 20% reduction or 15% reduction, because that's what we think the business can, can do we, we have to set a target that's really based on climate science. And as you can see here, if we continue, and this is the big global we, continue to admit, emit carbon the way we are now, we're looking at a four degrees Celsius increase to, uh, to the climate. If we wanna be at that 1.5 degrees Celsius, we have to cut our emissions by close to 50% by 2030, and we have to get to net zero no later than 2050. So that's the context in which we're looking at what we consider a science-based target. So what we did is we looked at um, 
the criteria for science-based targets within our industry. Um, our science-based targets are serious and meaningful. We looked at uh, the criteria for science-based targets for information and communication technology companies. That's the greater group of companies that, that you and I and we and our peers fall into. There's some criteria that's recommended for our segment and our industry specifically. We benchmarked our peers and we decided on these targets. So our short-term target is that we wanna reduce our scope one and scope two emissions by 40% by 2030. Very quickly, because I know climate change, all of this has its own lingo. Scope one emissions are our direct emissions. Things like the vehicles, our, our uh, installers drive their installer vans around to service our clients, their tailpipe emissions, the generators that power up to keep our central offices powered when there's an outage, those are scope one emissions. They're emissions coming directly from us and our operations. And our scope two emissions is all of the purchased electricity that it takes for us to power our, our network and our footprint. So that's scope one and scope two. We have to reduce those emissions by 40% by 2030 um, as compared to our baseline year, which was 2021. Our longer term target, again, aligned with what the climate science says we need to do, is to get to net zero. And our goal is to get to net zero by 2040. So with those ambitious targets in mind, go ahead to the next slide. Um, how are we doing? What does it look like? Um, we, I am happy to say that in 2022, we had year over year reduction in our greenhouse gas emissions from our baseline year of 2021. We came down close to 2%. So that's good. We're trending in the right direction. Uh, but we need to trend harder and faster. So we need to be dropping by 4.5% a year, year over year, to meet our emission reduction targets. So we have to do more and we have to do faster. And I hope that by sharing with honesty and just, you know, where we are in this journey, that you can look at your organizations. We all need to be doing this collectively, again, to meet those broader goals. As you can see, we're responsible for roughly 77,000 metric tons of carbon emissions a year um, in our baseline year. We brought that down to about 75.5 um, last year in 2022. Um, so it's really a tremendous amount of emissions that we're responsible for and we're trying to reduce. The other great thing about doing a baseline greenhouse gas emissions inventory is it was critical to understand where our emissions are coming from. And you can't solve for the problem until you look at some of this data and understand and understand the problem. So let's start with the pie chart on the left. As you can see, the heart and soul of our network is certainly the network equipment that delivers our mission, that mission to connect our neighbors and our communities. Our network equipment and the power it takes to power that equipment is 56% of our carbon footprint. In addition to that, if you look in the bottom corner, cooling that equipment, cooling our central offices and cooling the equipment, is 20% of our footprint. So really add those together, we're at 76% of our carbon footprint is the network equipment and cooling the equipment. The other piece of the pie there says non-network GHGs. I lumped a bunch of stuff together for simplicity. That's our vehicles. We have 800 vehicles strong in the Midwest geography. We have roughly 650 vehicles strong out in, in Hawaii. All those vehicles together are part of that non-network pie. Like I mentioned, our generators, refrigerant losses, there's a number of things that fit in that non-network category. 
But by far, again, our biggest piece of the footprint is the network itself. So let's shift now to a view of the of just pulling out that in network equipment and looking what's made up over there. You can see that because we're an ILEC, we have a legacy copper network that we're operating. And of the network equipment, it's 48% of that chunk of the, of the pie of our emissions. We have overbuilt our territory in the Midwest with fiber, and we're doing the same in Hawaii. We're about 50% of the way there in Hawaii. So we're really running two networks. We're operating our legacy copper network, and we're operating our fiber optic network. And you can see the dramatic difference in, in carbon footprint between them. So that big dark piece of the pie is all the power that our legacy network consumes. And to serve um, almost all of the same geography, the strategic fiber network is a much slimmer piece is 6% of the total footprint. So really, it kind of you know slaps us in the face right here. If we can get out of the business of operating as much of that legacy copper network as possible and continue to serve our clients on a better, faster fiber network, um, we can reduce our emissions associated with copper, keep giving great connectivity and service to our neighbors and our communities. Um, and that's gonna be a huge piece of our climate action plan. And that's what the numbers tell us to do. So let's go to the next slide then. So if I had to describe to you our climate action plan in a nutshell, in one slide kind of boiled down, this is it. Between now and 2030, we're gonna to try to avoid and reduce 14,000 metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions. And our first and foremost, looking from left to right here, is we're gonna do it by serving our customers with our fiber network, our faster, more efficient fiber network, which allows us then to shut down legacy copper network components. We are started focused in particular on our legacy voice switches, for example. Um, through our data, through our measurements, we know they are a tremendous power consumer. In addition to that, in order to get to that long-term goal of net zero, we have to bring online more renewable power. Uh, we will always have a power-consuming footprint, so we need renewable resources to, to serve that need. We currently have 9% of our power generated through on-site solar panels in our Hawaiian telecom business, and we've just brought our two first um, solar array online in our Midwest Altafiber business. In addition to that, we'll look at vehicles for purchasing renewable power through our utility providers. Next up, we will continue to do what we've always done and what I know our peers out there have done for a very long time, which is constantly find greater efficiency, greater efficiency in the way we operate our network and our network equipment, uh, greater efficiency in our fleet, and also in our facilities. So this is where things like LED lighting retrofits come in. We're doing a large rectifier replacement program, which will increase the efficiency of the, of the newer rectifiers as compared to the outdated ones, et cetera. So lots of efficiency measures are a big piece of our climate action plan. And then lastly, I did mention our you know, 14,000 plus strong vehicle fleet. It's a critical piece of our field operations. And so we have to start to integrate electric vehicles into our fleet, along with some efficiency measures uh, to operate our fleet vehicles more as efficiently as possible um, as well. So those are the major pieces and components of our climate action plan. There's a lot to it. 
and those plans are available on our website if you want to read more and in more detail. One of the things that we've tried to tell our customers is that fiber is greener. So again, we have to convince customers that, that we're operating these two networks that if we can meet their needs through our fiber network, fiber is a greener option. And this past year, we actually formulated a marketing campaign around this topic, around this fiber is greener um, message uh, on and around Earth Day. We made it Earth Month and we did this messaging all month. So for example, we shared that fiber is more eco-friendly, that there's a great study out there by Corning that compared the carbon footprint over the life cycle of copper wiring to fiber optic cabling uh, and pound for pound for all the same amount of service to the customer of each product, that copper wiring has an 85,000 times higher carbon footprint than copper does. We shared that fiber is more efficient, that our fiber optic network reduces power consumption depending on what technology it's compared to, it's a 30 to 50% reduction in the power required to serve a customer over a fiber network than over a copper network. Fiber itself is more durable, um, so we have fewer interruptions, fewer service calls, which means fewer truck rolls. So we're dispatching our technicians less often, which also reduces vehicle emissions for us. And then lastly, Fiber itself is a recyclable product because it's a glass product. So it has one-sixth the embodied carbon uh, of copper wire. So those are some of the ways that we were messaging to our clients and customers on the fiber is greener message. So yeah, go ahead to the next slide. So I wanted to share just a, a bit briefly about what's in our climate action plan, why fiber is a critical piece. Really, we have to reduce the copper network energy consumption uh, dramatically in order to meet our goals among a variety of other efficiency and uh, electrification efforts. And um, to encourage all of you, I hope that all of your companies are, are doing the same. It's gonna take a big collective action. All of the big global we have to work to meet these carbon reduction goals in order for us to um, sustain the planet at only a 1.5 degree C um, warming. These two QR codes that you're looking at are the two locations for our climate action plans. One is going to take you to the About Us page, the one on the left, the About Us page for Alta Fiber, which is, and you'll find our climate action plan, plan for Alta Fiber there. And on the right-hand side is the same for Hawaiian Telecom. Although the businesses, uh, I would say their climate action plans overlap by say about 75%, there's so many similarities, a lot of the same actions in both places, but as we know, environmental sustainability is unique to each place and unique to each business and unique to each climate. Um, and so what's gonna work and what our actions are in Hawaii are certainly unique from what our actions are in the Midwest of the United States. And we've developed two unique climate action plans that are honestly quite complementary to each other, but each are unique to their appropriate business and their culture. So I hope to check them out and I look forward to answering your questions now, Gary, uh, and then uh, the questions of, of the attendees, you know, in the chat box uh, as, when I can. So thank you. Well, Nasa, this is uh, incredibly interesting and really important, uh, especially given the recent events in Hawaii. Can you talk a little bit on the climate impact and what happened in Hawaii and kind of impact Alta Fiber and, and does that change awareness in a big way there? 
Oh gosh, it's been a terrible tragedy. And our entire Hawaiian telecom team have really focused all of their efforts. You know, we've had over 40 of our employees fly to Maui and dedicate their efforts to responding to the community of Lahaina and the other wildfires that have occurred um, to restore service as quickly as possible. Um, our Hawaiian telecom team has been able to provide um, wireless connection at the um, at the community centers, the shelters where people have been sheltering to restore service. Um, our Lahaina central office miraculously survived the fire, but none of its connection to the community did, and that all had to be reconnected. There's just been a tremendous effort. Um, and the emotional toll that this tragedy takes on the entire Hawaii family, um, the Ohana, um, is really severe. So we've so it's 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 been a terrible month and a half, but also a coming together of that ohana to meet the needs of their community. I will say, because you asked me a question in the context of our climate action plan, that one thing you learn working with the community at Hawaiian Telecom is they've had this, they have what they call a malama aina, a dedication to sustaining the natural environment that sustains them and their quality of life. They're uh, an island people. They're their notion and their commitment to sustainability is inherent culturally. And so developing a climate action plan was something that, um, frankly, they lean into that they see as a critical, uh, critical for their survival um, of their communities and of their quality of life. Um, I will say one of the unique aspects of uh, serving the, the state of Hawaii is that so much infrastructure is coastal. Um, and so what we've also been doing, in addition to developing a climate action plan to reduce our carbon footprint, we've been doing um, sea level rise risk analysis, climate risk analysis. So looking at the effects, for example, of sea level rise on where our infrastructure is, um, of storm surge inundation, of coastal erosion, and doing a very scientific analysis of those clear and dramatic effects on uh, our infrastructure and the infrastructure that affects the quality of life in the state of Hawaii. So it's twofold. It's risk management. It's good, solid business risk management practice because we know these effects will affect our infrastructure and also uh, an ambitious and clear climate action plan to try to work at the drivers uh, of climate change. So we're doing both. Uh, we're doing both ambitiously for the Hawaiian telecom business. Yeah, well, I just I think we all appreciate that everything that Alta's doing in Hawaii, Hawaii Intel, because um, obviously, you know, an island's very vulnerable to climate impacts, and you know, right. as you mentioned, rising seawater is a immediate noticeable impact, and the major, you know, the extreme weather events and the cat, you know, the catastrophic um, forest fires, wildfires. Um, so it is. This is not just kind of a a pen and paper exercise. This has real life immediate impact. Yeah, Gary, a quick anecdote. We um, had a focused effort this summer to do climate mapping, the mapping of our of the climate risks. And we're using publicly available data that's been developed by our federal scientific agencies and then the state of Hawaii scientific agencies. And one of our risk analysis maps was wildfire risk. And the maps that we developed prior to the Maui fire absolutely showed the highest wildfire risk right in that area above and around Lahaina. So the data that's out there is based on global modeling, global climate modeling, 
and it's really it's very good and it's and it's really informative and so we have to do that activity that climate risk analysis integrated into our enterprise risk management systems and then be uh, i'm an engineer by background right be the good engineers and problem solvers that we need to be go about designing solutions and taking urgent action to try to alleviate what we know are pressing risks it was fascinating you know uh, to see how accurately that that risk uh, map correlated with where this uh, terrible wildfire event occurred. And it's not just isolated to Hawaii. I mean, we're saying the same Certainly thing not. in the Pacific Northwest and why it's so critical to bury fiber and get, you know, for the resiliency or um, on the Gulf coasts with uh, hurricanes and, you know, there's the Midwest. I mean, there's really no one immune to. Yeah, absolutely. No one's immune and it, and it might not mean always catastrophic events, but it will also mean just changes to the way you do business. So sharing a quick anecdote, we did the same uh, climate risk analysis to our Midwestern Alta fiber business. And one of the dramatic effects there will be an increase in heat and heat index. And we all know that our technicians are out in the field all day long trying to meet the needs of our customers. They're out in their vans, they're out of doors. Um, and so from safety protocol standpoints, We'll have more high-risk temperature days. We'll have hotter days. Um, so there's, and that will change our operational style and and what and the safety parameters and maybe even the equipment that we need to have on hand for our installers for our field crews. So there's lessons to be learned from a climate risk analysis in any geography. To your good point. You know, the Fire Broadband Association. Our studies had shown that when we are able to connect every American with fiber it will reduce the carbon footprint by 34%. Wow, and when you, right. when you look at the, uh, what you would call scope two, but the, the secondary um, factors like getting more cars off the road, it'll be mm -hmm. the equivalent of taking 11 million cars off the road per year, which mm -hmm. is pretty significant. When I look at your slides, obviously going from copper to fiber, that's gonna be your biggest needle mover by far? Yeah, that's really true. Um, yeah, our biggest, boldest move, uh, first and foremost, is to try to shut down as many legacy voice switches as, as is feasible while continuing to provide the same quality of level of service to the customers, uh, some of whom, especially business customers, still rely on some of that copper product. Um, so that's a, a great engineering design challenge. Um, and then to migrate customers from copper to fiber. Um, I think the Fiber Broadband Association is a great partner to us to accomplish some of those aims. There have been some regulatory barriers in the past to migrating customers who might not want to move from a fiber product, uh, from a copper product to a fiber product. Um, and I think that that mentality is hopefully shifting. We need our regulators and we need our community stakeholders to understand that not only is a fiber a more reliable and a faster speed and, and a more cost-effective product. It's also a greener product and essential to climate action. So it's just one more rung in that ladder uh, and we need a regulatory environment as well. And just the outreach and the communication of the community that helps support that messaging um, so that we have the support we need when the time comes to say, yeah, we, we really do need to be migrating to fiber. Yeah, it's kind of hard to, I mean, it's it's like a no-brainer, right? Because you get fiber gives you, you know, manyfold greater capacity. So and the cost per megabit goes way down, and 
and then it provides a more green environment to everybody. So, I mean, there's yeah. a win, 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 win. It's hard to right. imagine. Um, so one of the things when you look at the progress you guys have made in the last uh, couple of years, hmm. it looked like your scope one went up while your scope yeah. two went down. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, our scope one went up um, based on a couple of factors. We had more refrigerant losses um, from year to year, and that's concerning. That's older HVAC equipment that needs to be addressed. Um, refrigerants are extremely powerful greenhouse gases, and they do a valuable service when they're contained in, in our HVAC equipment, but they do terrible damage when they're released to the atmosphere. So in addition, we probably think about, you know, cooling efficiencies and updating our HVAC equipment to create better cooling efficiencies, which is true, not wrong. But another aspect of having older equipment is to eliminate any refrigerant losses. Um, so our goal is to get those to zero over time and also eliminate some older and more damaging refrigerants from our inventory. We're also driving more vehicles. Um, we are growing. Um, our geography is growing. Um, in our service area, in our Alta Fiber business. Um, so we do have some addition of vehicles and service territory. Um, so we, we really have to get to better vehicle efficiency. We're, we're actually trying to reduce the average age of our fleet um, because younger vehicles have better mileage and better fuel efficiency. And then also bring electric vehicles into the mix where there is an electric vehicle that meets our, um, our business and, and field objectives and needs uh for the performance of our fleet so it's, so one, uh, it's something we have to go after yeah one big multiplier is you know work from home so hmm. and you know is from alta perspective is there ability to do more work from home and then also you know enable more self-install so you can reduce the truck rolls hmm. yeah i think that we'll see more effect in reducing truck rolls. So I think tr reducing truck rolls is something, you know, overarching from a business efficiency standpoint that meets a lot of great objectives, including, uh, you know, sustainability objectives. Um, as far as work from home, I can, uh, we've had a reduction in our corporate real estate footprint. Um, so for example, um, at our headquarters facility, we had five leased floors of space and we're downsizing to two least floors of space in our headquarters building as a very concrete example of that downsizing. Uh, so bringing down our corporate real estate footprint is helpful. I will say that, again, when you look at our greenhouse gas pie, um, our corporate real estate is actually a much smaller segment. So any improvement is helpful. We want to do efficiencies wherever we can. Um, but bigger, bolder moves in the network are going to make a more significant dent in our in our footprint fastest. Well, Nasda, really appreciate this is really informative and okay. very, um, you know, topical and urgent. And we also really appreciate the great contributions you're making on our the FBA sustainability working group. Mm -hmm. So thank you for your contributions there. That's a so, great group. Uh, yeah, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. And we're going to get together back together next Wednesday. Fiber Rex is really speaking with Angela Seifert, the Executive Director of the National Digital Inclusion Alliance, discuss addressing all barriers to digital equity. Angela is the guru on digital equity and just a wonderful lady, and we look forward to seeing her. So we'll see you guys next Wednesday. Thanks, everyone.